With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah. You already know what time it is. It's that official time. When we take this worldwide. So now it's time to turn it up Surf the radio waves as we begin to burn it up We all up in your area like landscape Definitely bringing you the power slamming pancakes It's the mandate that you tune in It's time to move out so we can move in And recognize that this is no illusion I'm here to clear the air so that there is no confusion It all started off in the book of Genesis When Jacob was wrestling with who he thought was his nemesis And when the man saw he couldn't overpower him He touched his hip but he really could have devoured him And from that point then we hear a name change Rearrange the game so now we gotta change uh, so I'm here to let you know it's time to listen to the Pancake and Power Slam show. Let's go! Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam show. Uh. You are now listening to the Pancakes and Power Slam Show by Crave Wrestling on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter at Crave Wrestling and join the Facebook fan page Crave Wrestling. We are here live on a Pancakes and Power Slam show, episode 220. Ladies and gentlemen, when you're live and living color, getting funky like a monkey, if you will, you're having a good time tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, And we are here live. I am Chris Featherstone. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into the interview. We are here with... Former Ring of Honor star, we have a, lo- a loaded show tonight. We are here with former Ring of Honor star, current uh, qualifier for the WWE Cruiserweight Classic, none other than Cedric Alexander. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? Cedric, are you there? Oh, I'm here. I'm here. Can you hear me? Hello? Anyone there? 
Hello. 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 You are now listening to the Pancakes and Power Slam Show by Crave Wrestling on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter at Crave Wrestling and join the Facebook fan page Crave Wrestling. Indeed, 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 ladies and gentlemen, this is the Pancakes and Power Slam show. As soon as I get live in my studio, I get an email talking about there's some technical issues with Blog Talk Radio. How awful is that? But we are here, episode 220. I am Chris Featherstone. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. We have two interviews today. Let's, uh, Without further ado, let's get into the first one. Let's have some fun with... None other than Ring of Honor, former Ring of Honor star and current qualifier for the WWE Cruiserweight Classic, Cedric Alexander. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing great, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I really, really appreciate your patience with all this uh, craziness, man. It's uh, it's live radio, man, 220 episodes and uh, it's been absolutely fun, but for some reason today I get an email right before I go in the studio and Blog Talk Radio saying there's some technical difficulties and I'm not able to get my podcast mic live on here, but appreciate your patience and we're going to have some fun, man. Uh, so, yeah, you uh, congratulations for being one of the qualifiers. How does that feel? Uh, it feels amazing. Uh, and thank you, by the way. Uh, but, yeah, it, just, it feels amazing. It's um, one of those things. You swear up and down when you when you train to be a wrestler that you'll work for WWE and after seven years of hard work and now that it's finally here it's uh it's a little hard to believe still. Yeah, yeah. So how did you I mean how did you get the the invite? How did you get the opportunity? Uh well uh I got the opportunity from a tryout I had back in February where um you know, I was just going and just in my mind, it was really just to assess um, my worth as a wrestler to see what, you know, critics thought of me or whatever, whatever, because I was still wrestling for Ring of Honor at the time. So, um, so you know, before during the tryout, 
you know, um, I was pulled aside and asked, hey, could you drop some weight? Because at the time I was weighing about 225, 230. And uh, they said, hey, could you drop some weight because your style really fits with this cruiserweight uh, thing we have in the works? And I said, yeah, I'll lose the weight as soon as, as, soon as I get home. I'll start working on yeah. it ASAP. And, and, from, and from, from that point on, it's been a journey of just busting my butt, you know, nonstop to get down to this 205 deadline. And I'm right there at it. I'm right there at it. Yeah, man. I, I've uh, followed you since uh, the CNC Russell Factory. I actually had Caprice Coleman. Caprice Coleman was one of the first guests on my show about four years ago. And, yeah, um, yeah and we talked about the CNC Russell Factory at the time and just how, you know, how much of an upstart you were and, and you know, just the potential that, we that, that you know, he saw in you, you know, to be a, a mentor figure and that I saw and a lot of people saw in ROH in you. Uh, to know that you were a star, and um, yeah, I mean it's it's your athleticism and just your, your your ring prowess, and you're still in your 20s, you're still young, still got a lot of, a lot to go. Who are some people that you see now and that you saw growing up as a kid that kind of shapes your in ring style that you kind of emulated? Oh, oh well, I I gotta say first and foremost, number one is AJ Styles. Um, mm, good choice. He's been a, a favorite of mine. Um, I remember watching the match from TNA's Unbreakable 2005, I believe. Um, it was him, Joe, and Daniels in the three-way for the Division Championship. It was the first time that the championship was defended in a main event of a pay-per-view. And I remember watching that match and thinking, I am going to be a wrestler. And there's no event about it. And, you know, because when I was a kid, I would watch wrestling and say, oh, this is cool. I enjoyed it. I like it. I'm a big fan of it. But it wasn't until after that match thinking, oh, I am going to wrestle now. Like, there is no if, ands, or buts. And um, so, yeah, AJ's, so AJ's is, is definitely big, a huge influence on me. Uh, Chris Saban, Alex Shelley are also big influences on my style and how I carry myself in the ring. And, um, uh, yeah, those are basically the guys I look to. Oh, oh well, how can I, how can I forget this? Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit are also two big guys I try to draw things from when I can. Especially yeah. uh, watching their matches from uh, New Japan when they were in the uh, Jacob. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this when uh, Benoit was the Pegasus Kid or the Wild <laughs> Pegasus? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, I remember him and Jericho. I think it was ninety that uh, eighty nine or so that they were in the Jacob uh, together, and uh, or ninety some somewhere around there, ninety one somewhere around there. Um, but, uh, yeah, there were. Which one? What year was it? I first thing was ninety one. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep, sounds about right. Yep, uh, I agree. So, were you big? Were you a big fan of Japan wrestling? I mean, you're still what twenty seven, twenty eight, somewhere around there. I'm still twenty six for now. Uh, actually, August I'll be twenty seven. Wow, twenty seven years young, and you got. A world of of wrestling knowledge already, and you just you just look like a veteran in the ring. I mean, people, I mean, you look young. Uh, I've seen you live before at an ROA show in, uh, in my hometown, Columbus, Ohio. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that uh, you know it's 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 awesome uh, because you know you, you've you've gained so much knowledge. 
uh, and then you know you turn around and you get such a great opportunity for you. It's it's awesome. So you know you watch. So say even probably about ten years ago, you were in your teens. So is that kind of like ruthless aggression era, two thousand two or so? That's uh, were you were you big into wrestling at that time? Oh, I was always huge into wrestling. Um, I've been a fan of wrestling since I was like five years old. Um, but I remember, I'm trying to think here. I think the first match I really watched that made me a fan of wrestling was uh, the WCW Cruiserweights when it was, I think, Juventud Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was just like a random Monday Nitro, and my uh, my stepdad was flicking through channels, and then I saw a guy in a mask. I'm like, hey, wait, go back, stop well, let's watch this for a second. And ever since then, every week, religiously, I've been stuck on pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so were you a big fan of uh, WCW, or did you watch WCW uh, wrestling at all when you were when you were a kid? You mentioned Hooventude all the time, uh, and like there was even a point when I. When, but at some point I discovered that WWF was coming on like an hour after WCW started, so I would constantly like flick back and forth between the channels because I didn't want to just like I was a huge WCW fan, but you know the WWF was like uh, in the midst of that big Attitude Era thing, and uh, I just refused to miss wrestling, so I would constantly flick back and forth between channels, and if and like if I was lucky, my parents would like fall asleep or something like that, and I would sneak out into the living room and put that on like WWE, WWE and then my my room and my TV would be on WCW and I would just go back and forth and try to watch <laughs> the same time. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh that's awesome. Any memorable moments that you that you remember from uh WCW around that era? Oh man. Um the one that sticks up was when Flair handcuffed himself to the ring and refused to leave until like he got Commissioner, yeah, good, good memory, good memory. That was good. <laughs> that was the first actually a promo. Really understood what was happening because I was losing my yeah. taking clothes off and screaming and elbow dropping his jacket, and I was like, "What is this man doing?" <laughs> I- yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was loony uh, around that time. He was a quite quite a loony character, and it was uh, I, I would just laugh every single week when Flair would get the mic. So, yeah, it's uh, very interesting. So, so basically, you said that the well, is is that the reason why you left ROH because of the recruiters, because of the scouting, and because of this opportunity? Was it amicable? Uh, no. Um... Actually, uh, I'm trying to think here. I can't remember exactly. Um, I actually told Arlich about the tryout I was having, and, you know, everything was cool, and um, the Cruiserweight thing was just, you know, a one-time shot from what I understood, so it was just, okay, we'll, we'll do this, but ROH still is still there. But at some point, I don't remember the exact conversation, but at some point we just decided that, you know, it's better that I focus on one thing and not try to do – we had things at once, and we, you know, we just left on good terms and said, hey, if Tom ever shows up where I can come back, then I will. If not, then, you know, yeah. I'm, that's a good thing. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good opportunity for you because one, you know, if you if it doesn't work out in the long run for WWE, you know, you're 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 a hotter commodity, and you know, you're you're more valuable in a sense, you know, from a business standpoint for ROH because of that WWE experience. But of course, you know, if it works out for you, you know, in the WWE and you do get, you know, an NXT, you know, uh, contract or things like that. I think you would be an amazing hand in NXT. I think NXT, you know, we see kind of an influx of talent going from NXT to the WWE main roster. I think it's about time to get another type of influx from, you know, the indie scene, ROH, New Japan, you know, like especially New Japan, we got Ibushi in, in the uh, tournament as well, you know, and so – the influx from the indie scene and, and New Japan ROH to NXT, and I definitely think that you'd be one of those people that would be such an amazing hand. If there's one person, i got a couple more questions for you, is the, if there's one person that you can imagine competing against in, the, in, in WWE right now, who would it be? Well, the Cruiserweight Classic or just WWE in general? Just WWE in general. I would love to have a match with Dolph Ziggler. Oh, good choice. Why Dolph Ziggler? I am I am just a huge fan of his work. He just he's he's I've never seen a bad Dolph Ziggler match. Never. I I've never watched a Dolph Ziggler match and go that was bad. I he's just too good. I Dolph hmm. point. He he does things in the ring that most guys just don't do, and like he he's just awesome. I don't know how to risk put. He's I'm just a huge Dolph Ziggler fan, and I'm a big fan of his work. And he's just he's just amazing to watch. Yeah, a lot of people crit- uh, gives him the the critique of, that he oversells. What, what are your thoughts on that? You know, they said the same thing about Shawn Michaels, and look at him. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, I don't think it's really. Sorry. I said one of the greatest. Oh yeah, yeah no, and like you know, I I don't really think there's. Uh, ever too much or, or or overselling, should I say? Because I mean, every time he does, he makes the guy look like a million bucks. So you'll never look at a Dolph Ziggler match and go, "Man, he the guy the, the guy that beat him was crap." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like win, lose, or draw, Dolph always makes the person in the ring with him look better than what they are. I think. Yeah. So do you have him winning this uh, Sunday over Baron Corbin, or or no? Oh, he's got to win over Baron Corbin. He's got to. Okay, yeah, interesting. So, uh, lastly here, uh, lastly, uh, Cedric, uh, just let people know where to find you and let people know what to expect uh, for this WWE Cruiserweight Classic. Well, uh, you can always find me on Twitter under Cedric Alexander. I am verified, so it's going to be very easy to find me. Uh, Facebook, also Cedric Alexander, very easy. I am also on Instagram under Cedric Alexander one. So, um, I mean, that, that's pretty much it for social media, but, um, what you can expect out of this cruiserweight classic for me is I'll probably be one of the hardest hitting highest flying guys in the ring. And you can expect me to win this cruiserweight classic because I lost 22 pounds of getting this bad boy. And I'm not, I'm not going to do that for nothing. I'm coming out with a win. <laughs> nice. Sounds good. I remember when Matt Hardy had to lose weight to uh, <laughs> win the cruiserweight title, and when he was defeated, <laughs> uh, defending against Rey Mysterio, remember that at WrestleMania? That was pretty funny. So, yeah, awesome, awesome, Cedric. Best wishes to you, man. You know, I, I'm a great fan of your work, and uh, I wish you the best. 
Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, this is an action-packed Pancakes and Power Slam show. And thank you so much for Cedric Alexander. Uh, we got uh, part one. And, ladies and gentlemen, it's the first time we've done this, the Pancakes and Power Slam history. 220 episodes, action-packed, double-header. Remember the old, uh, the old NBA uh, days, double-header? You have Mar- Marv Albert, double-header, yes! Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we have one of the legendary wrestlers of all time, one of the legendary WWE superstars, current WWE Hall of Famer, none other than Bushwhacker Luke Williams. How are you tonight, sir? Bloody lovely, tell your mother. <laughs> How are you Great to have you tonight, okay? man. I'm yeah, doing you know, great, man. Yeah, I was hanging in there, mate. I was hanging in yeah, there, you know, at my age. You know, at my age, it's all past my bedtime. Yeah, and I appreciate your patience, no, man. And, uh, I'm just joking, yeah, mate. It's, it's yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. You have technical difficulties, things like that, you can't help. Yeah, and I and that's absolutely right, man. Like I said, I really, really appreciate your patience and uh, just your interacting with me. That's cool, the mate. Technical difficulty. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, this show is uh, reaches, you know, uh, dozens of thousands of people. We're about uh, twelve thousand listeners right now, and and uh, you know, and and it's it's great to to have you know people like you be on the show and just the patience that you have with just ridiculous difficulties. Like you said, it's out of my hands and um you know, I wasn't hey, man, when I get in my studio I'm not expecting it. What you, what's that again? All I'm waiting for is my pancakes, mate. You know <laughs> my pancakes. You're waiting for your pancakes? Bloody yeah, hell. well you know Bloody what? Hell. How, how long do I have to wait for those? <laughs> Well, text me your uh, your address and I'll send you uh, uh, some pancakes to go, man. <laughs> okay, mate. Where's your Where's your favorite restaurant to 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 eat pancakes at? Yeah, no, mate. My favorite restaurant to eat pancakes is at home. Anyhow, is that home, boy? That sounds good. Where are you located? Where is the show located out of? Um, my my studio is in Columbus, Ohio. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm up there very shortly for for the I think it's the Columbus the State Fair. You all oh, you'll be here this summer. In August, honky tonk. Oh really? Okay, up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming well, up we'll there for a, Okay, well that's great. Okay. I didn't know that. Well, be sure to uh, be sure to text me or, or email me or, or call me and uh, let me know so we can link up. That's uh, that's great news. You're in Puerto yeah. Rico now, right? No, no, no. I live on I live in Clearwater, Florida, mate. I have a I have a fitness center on Clearwater Beach, right above Hulk Hogan's Beach Shop. Nice. So, what is the Puerto Rico area? Is it in the Puerto Rico area code that you're calling from? Yeah, the Puerto Rico area code. I live. I run a company down there from two o one to two two o nine. And that my, oh, uh, my okay. I was living I was living in Puerto Rico to two thirteen and I came back to the States then and uh, you know, and I ended up uh, acquiring a gym on Clearwater Beach in the in the same plaza, Hogan's uh 
a memorabilia shop as right underneath me. Oh wow, that's great. Yeah, so that's that's awesome, man. So yeah, I, I've seen uh, that you you're, you're still keeping in shape. Uh, I, I'll let the world know how young you are now. <laughs> I'm still working in the ring in Europe, Australia, in um, in U.S. and Canada, and claiming the pension. Nice, absolutely. I, I saw you. I think it was last year that you popped up uh, on the Ring of Honor show. Was that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Right, a friend of mine, a friend of mine owned Ring of Honor for about ten years. Uh, uh, Kerry Silken. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he's a very close friend of mine. And uh, while he was there, I did it quite a few, quite a bit. I, I was there Ring of Honor for three shows um, last year. We were in the old. Of uh, ECW Arena in Philly, and then we were in Brooklyn. It was two shows, yeah. and we did a show in Brooklyn. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this, Luke: Why did the WWE never give you and Butch the opportunity to become tag team champions? Was it ever discussed? Well, well, we started. Tony and I, the uh, the Brainbusters, had the belts, and. Um, we start. We 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 start. We linked up with them. We started a program, and that. And those days we had television where you'd had only one or two main events. All the rest of them we had, you know, the were jobber matches to get to get uh, talent over. And as work, we we were working against a couple of guys, and uh, that silly move we had. <laughs> I gotta say it. Very simple. It was the battering ram, you know. Yeah, I don't know absolutely. The, you saw me grab, grab, grab me the the simplest move under the sun, but it was effective. The fans loved it and all that. And yeah, Butch grabbed me by the head, and as we ran to the guy, the guy turned, and my head hit his hip, and um, I cracked two vertebrae, uh, cracked two vertebrae or hairline fractures of vertebrae in my neck. And that was the second week in going with the Brain Busters. And um, that ended up, that ended, I was out for 10 weeks. That ended that program right there and then. Interesting. So you guys were penciled in to become champs at that time? No, I don't think we were. We were amazed. Tag team, Vince, Vince Sr. used tag teams on, on as main events. Vince Jr. has never used, he put... He put Hogan and Randy together. He put the Warriors and someone together as if it was a main event. He never used tag teams. Tag teams were, tag teams were more attractions. You know, well, we were, yeah, we were an attraction. Yeah. You know, and that, and, um, but, you know, I can't think of anything. I think he put Ted, he put Ted, at one time he put Ted together, Ted with IRS. Together mm-hmm. to work against money Hulk Inc. and somebody. Yeah, Money Inc. You put them together to work against Hulk and maybe the Warrior. But the rest of the time, the tag teams were never, you know, featured in main events. Mm. Was that was that a problem that you had during the time there? I mean, what, why no, do you think no. that Vince utilized you and Butch? Like, what, what do you think the primary reason of Vince utilizing Vince Jr.? 
utilizing you and Butch? Was it like a more of an attraction type of thing? Because you guys yes, were we one were. of the most over tag teams, period. But I just wonder, I always wonder why you never had the tag titles and how over you are as a team and how over you were as a team, never had the titles. They were, you know, made, made, I, I, I don't know whether you knew, but uh, most of my career I was a, a booker in different territories. Going back, going back, and that, and uh, you know, when you when when you had characters, I'm going to uh, use a person here, like Jim Duggan. You know, he's a character. He had a four for two. He had the old flag, and that he he was over. He didn't need a belt. You put to to me when I when I was doing booking, I put the belts on wrestlers. Who didn't? Who didn't have so much of a character, but the belt helped them get up to the level. Great workers and lifted them up to that level, you know. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know whether you know you could Vince put belts on um, tag teams. He had the belts on the Warriors. He had the belts on Demolition and that sort of stuff. But we we were entertaining, you know. We entertained from the kids to the grandparents. And that, and we we just went and ended our job, you know. So yeah. Entertained yeah, the fans and that, and we went, you know, we were we were professionals. We did, you know, we weren't hungry. We got to have belts. We got to have belts. I've never had that expect. We're in the business. Belts yeah. to put in places which were they needed, and that we were just happy to to be working there and doing our thing. I mean, of course, mm-hmm. with that character, I wouldn't be still working around. I'm still working in the ring and then around around the world and, and in the States at the age of 69. But it wasn't for our character. You know, people still remember, as, as Jesse Ventura used to say, here comes the marching morons, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the, head, yeah. the marching and the head licking. That, that's when everyone remembers it. And I still get stopped and asked from that 1992, was it 91, the uh, Royal Rumble, where, you know, I came to the ring, um, earthquake grabbed me, threw me out the other side, landed on my feet, and I kept marching back. People remember that sort of stuff. I sure do. You know, where I I sure do. Yeah, absolutely. That was was a classic. The WWE still plays that uh, to this day. That was absolutely hilarious. And, you, and, and, and when you look at that, look how many years ago that was. Yeah, yeah, 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very interesting. So my my last question to you, uh, Luke, is uh, when 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 is a retirement coming up the uh, pike? Are you even? Is that something you're considering, or are you still yeah, well, you're mate, still going to go? Mate, I, I I feel if I stop doing, you know, I'm in the. I've got a I've got a fitness center, and I mean, I think if I stop moving around, my body's gonna lock up. You know, so as long as I can move around and that, I'll keep doing that. And I try That's to awesome. keep in shape. I try to keep in shape of that, mate. The days of the the hardcore. Now I'm doing the bushwhacker for for many years. Butcher me was you know from the 70s. We were sort of hardcore before. Hardcore became a name brand. Yeah, and of course now, yeah. Before that, the Kiwis. We did. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't know that four-way chain matches 
barbed wire cage matches, fire matches, all that sort of stuff. We were doing that from the 70s onwards. And that, which took a toll, of course, on our bodies. So when Vince came up with he says, I want you to be between the sheep herds and moon dogs. And, my, and Butch said to me, the moon dogs have been on USA Network. The sheep herders have been on Ted Turner's, you know, TBS on and all for 10 years. Well, you know, from 1980 to 88, when we went for Vince, he said, we created, we and Vince gave us the name, the Bushwhackers. We, we, we created the, the arm swinging and the head licking. <laughs> nice. So my last question to you is that, uh, you know, that's that's a great answer as far as the retirement, but there's another, another question I just thought about is that who was better to work with, Vince Sr. or Vince Jr.? No, we never, we we never worked for Vince Senior. You came in. The Bushwhackers uh, came in with eighty nine and eighty eight, and Vince Junior. Yeah, Vince Junior started running in eighty four, and then I sent I I had sent tapes and tapes from different territories that I was in because I I write the television, you know and. From 1980, the first company I ever booked for was Joe Blanchard's Southwest Championship Wrestling, and then and uh, I I started sending tapes in from '83 to Vince '82, '83 to Vince Senior. But those days, all the all the heels were you know 260 to 80 pounds. You know Vince Senior had all all his heels were big men. And then when Vince Junior came in, then he started um, changing. That's well, the whole the whole business changed. Yeah, yeah. Who gave you the call yeah. to uh, get in the Hall of Fame? Um, well, the office, Mark uh, Karana. He called. I think he called me in that in February or January, the end of January, and let let me know about that. It's funny when you mention that, mate. That we got a, a lot of ne- negative publicity when the one when they heard that. They said, "Where are these two goons?" Most of the uh, wrestling, wrestling, you know, um, fans didn't know about the sheep herders or the Kiwis. You know, we first came in 1972 to USA, but before that, we'd wrestled all the Far East, Japan, and and we first come to North America in '72. Well, none of the fans today knew that. They, yeah. yeah. They just knew about. I tell you what, man. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what. I uh, I thought that it was a great uh, choice to to have you and Butch in the in the Hall of Fame. You know, it, it did have some criticism, but uh, I was a big fan of it, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of you taking your time to to you know. Be on my show tonight. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate you being a fan, mate. Absolutely. Any of you, my Facebook, Facebook is Bushwhacker Luke. My uh, Twitter is Bushwhacker Luke. My uh, website, which is a new one's going up, is BushwhackerLuke.com. And Instagram is Bushwhacker Luke. Awesome. Luke, I appreciate it, man. And, mate, i, 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 I got to really, get a really plug for my gym. i got to get yes, a plug. Yes, do it. Clearwater Beach, Bushwhacker, if you go to Google, clearwaterbeachfitness.com, 
It's from Bushwhacker Luke's Clearwater Beach Fitness dot com. And we, and we live off tourism. So if you're down that way in Clearwater Beach, which is number one beach in the country, pop in and see me. Uh, we're right on the main drag. I'll put you on the spot. Give me a 10-second promo about it. Well, it's the only, the only gym on the beach. It's old-school gym, not like the L.A. Fitness or the A-type Fitness. You want to come and throw a few weight, the old steel weights around, dumbbells go up to 120, we've got the old-school gym. But we have, we have a lot of personalities that work out there. A lot of people from uh, the Arnold Classic, where Hulk Hogan works out there, when boys are in town, you know, they come and work out there. So uh, I hope to see you there. So on Mandalay Avenue, right above Hulk Hogan's Beach Shop. Fantastic. Want a beach Thanks a lot, Luke. I appreciate you on the show. Really do, man. Really Great to do. be awesome. here, mate. Have a good awesome. day, Have mate. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Luke Williams, Bushwhacker Luke Williams, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, awesome, awesome time. Uh, doubleheader, NBA, and uh, NBA-style doubleheader. Uh, it was it was awesome. Uh, we had uh, Luke Williams. We had Bushwhacker Luke uh, scheduled for the show weeks ago, uh, and then you know uh, he was he was scheduled and he he, he made it through. And uh, but yeah, with uh, with the new announcements of uh, the. Um, Cruiserweight Classic. I had to promote it and uh, talk to Cedric la- yesterday, and uh, within a day he's he was willing to come on and and promote it and talk a little bit of ra- about wrestling. So I appreciate both Cedric Alexander and Luke Williams uh, to be on the show. But it's not over, ladies and gentlemen. We have even a- another special guest. I guess you could even say it's a triple header. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk some wrestling with Greg Parks. From PW Torch, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Oh, fantastic, uh, man! Glad you're on the show. What do you think about Cedric and Luke, man? Yeah, uh, that's really cool. Yeah, um, really cool to have those guys on here. You know, two totally different eras of wrestling. You know, you've got Cedric yeah, Alexander, right. who's who's uh, wrestling today. You know best known in ring of honor and, and excited to see him in the cruiserweight classic coming up. And then, you know, like you said, hall of famer, Bushwhacker Luke, uh, telling tales of, uh, bygone eras. I think that's really cool to have that dichotomy on the show tonight. Yeah. Bygone era, very vaudevillian. Speaking of vaudevillian, let's talk about (laughs) NXT take over the end. How about that segue? I'm sure that uh, some people listening out there are a little jelly about it. Uh, the NST took over the end. Uh, we had uh, five matches. Uh, ended up with Samoa Joe defeated Finn Balor. Uh, we saw the uh, debut of uh, Andrade Cien Almas uh, defeating Ty Dillinger. Uh, Revival defeating uh, American Alpha to become the two-time NXT champions, uh, the first-ever two-time NXT champions. Shinsuke Nakamura defeating AJ, uh, Austin Aries. And then, uh, and then Oscar defeating uh, Nia Jax. So, uh, two-hour show. And what what are your thought? What are your thoughts, overall thoughts on the end? Uh, compare this takeover to to the other ones. Uh, does it uh, is it in the upper echelon, the lower echelon? What are your thoughts? Well, my first reaction after watching it was, 
wasn't as good as the other ones. And then I sat back and I looked at the card and I looked at the matches that took place. And I'm like, well, Dillinger Almas was, was pretty good for Almas's debut. Uh, the tag title match pretty hot. Uh, you had the interesting development, precious Paul Ellering coming back to seemingly manage the authors of pain after they attacked American Alpha after the tag match. Uh, Nakamura Aries was a fantastic match. You had Asuka versus Nia Jax, which was better than I expected going in. And you had a really good steel cage main event, first steel cage match in NXT history. So after it was done, my initial reaction was, yeah, it was okay. And then when you sit back and, and look back on it as a whole, you're saying, wow, that was actually it ended up stacking up pretty well with the previous NXT takeover shows. I think the problem with this one is, you know, it happened on a Wednesday. It wasn't a weekend show, a Saturday night show, like some of the takeovers have been. Uh, It didn't have a lot of hype going in. It was at full sale in front of the usual NXT TV crowd. So it didn't have that feel of a really special event in front of a huge, uh, a different crowd than we're used to seeing. And I think all that contributed to a little bit of a lack of buzz uh, coming into the show. And, I think that's one of the reasons it was kind of looked at as, okay, yeah, it's a takeover, but it's not as good as the others. It's only when you actually look back at it a little bit with fresh eyes and say, wow, yeah, that that actually stacked up pretty well against some of the other shows as far as match quality goes. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you, Greg. I I actually think that this is one of the best ones. As far as I remember, I've watched all of them. And uh, I think this, because it was just a solid top to bottom show, it just it just really mm-hmm. was to me. Um, and I agree with you wholeheartedly about the buzz, the lack of buzz. Uh, I think we kind of got spoiled with the recent takeovers because yeah. all the other ones were at full sale, you know, from, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then we got spoiled by London, and and we got spoiled by Brooklyn, uh, and then you know, of course, uh, we got spoiled by uh, Dallas. You know, so um, so the past you know handful about about the past handful was outside of full sale, uh, but you know the other ones were uh, in full sale, and uh, you know it, it was it was a good you know it was a good feeling to have it in full sale again, um, kind of going back to the basics as far as having the takeovers at full sale. But you know I do agree with the the buzz could have been better. Uh, I definitely agree with that. Um, but I think it was a really solid show. I mean, it, it was a two-hour show. Uh, there wasn't a lot of fluff, and I think the uh, I think the athleticism, I think the 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 match quality for every. I, I don't think. See, here's the thing between this and Dallas. I would even say that this was better than Dallas to me, um, mm-hmm. just because just because it wasn't. It, it just seemed like from start from from start to finish, um, it was just a really solid. Uh, card. I didn't see anything. I, I didn't find anything about this card that was that was worth uh, kind of throwing away. And Dallas, to me, yeah. I'm a I'm a Corbin guy, but to me, Aries <laughs> Corbin was a throwaway match. I think that that could have been yeah. ejected from the card as far as you know, compared to all the other matches from the Takeover Dallas. I think I that think, was the weakest match. Yeah, I think for me, if you look at NXT Dallas, I think the the top matches at NXT Dallas, if you if you put uh, uh, Nakamura and uh, Zayn, if you put uh, American Alpha versus The Revival, I like that match a tad more than I like the one here uh, at, at the latest NXT. I think if you take the top matches on that card and compare them to the top matches on this latest NXT show, I think NXT Dallas might win out. 
But if you're looking at the card as a whole, which it sounds like what you're doing, um, I can see where you, you like this card a little better because you really hit on something uh, that makes NXT great and makes people like NXT is on a show like this, there is a fluff. You know, you turn into Monday Night Raw every week and half of the show, if not more, feels like it just doesn't matter. It feels like it's just Absolutely. thrown on there to uh, to take up time because it is so long. And even the pay-per-views, there are one or two matches on there that are, that are kind of throwaways sometimes. This was oh, a yeah. very tight show. There, there wasn't any fat to cut off of this show. I mean, it was a lean show. And that's that's why I gravitate toward NXT, I think, and away from a roster a little bit. Yeah, very, very much agree there. So with that, let's talk about Raw a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it was in New Orleans, and I found that very interesting because one of my favorite Raw segments uh, in in the history of the uh, brand was last year when Our Truth thought that he was in the Money in the Bank, and it was absolutely in <laughs> New Orleans. So that was uh, very interesting that both two two straight years their go home shows. Um, were uh, in New Orleans. I was going to purposely uh, introduce you um, from New Orleans, and I'm sure that you would have bought into it and said, uh, no, I'm Chris, I'm not from New Orleans. And I would have been like, are you sure? Are you sure? That's on me. Uh, my, my bad. I, I apologize, Chris. So I was going to go into the whole spiel of, of that from, from last year. I thought that that was one of the funniest things. Uh, and raw history, and it, it was a really good way to revive uh, our troops' character because he kind of did it a couple more times, and it was it was funny too. So it, it was really interesting. But I, you know, just the just the raw to me. I have a Facebook Live um, segment uh, every Monday night after Raw on the Crave Wrestling Facebook page, and I said and I said last night, I said you know it was, it was middle of the road for me. You know, the go home mm-hmm. shows for Raw has been very very. Um, Underwhelming. I think that's probably the uh, appropriate word to to describe the the go home shows. What are your thoughts on this role? I, I saw it the same way you did, Chris. I thought this was a middle of the road show. I thought there was like we usually get in three hour off. There was some really good stuff, but you have to sit through some really bad stuff to get it. Uh, and I thought that the opening segment was a really really a perfect microcosm of the show. Uh, this was a segment where there was some good stuff there, you know, with a new day and with the whole tag team title situation. Um, I thought there was some good stuff in there, but I thought there were some really poor attempts at comedy there. I thought the the new day shoe thing went on a little too long. Um, I thought Luke Gallows cut a really bad promo uh, in the ring. Um, and then they had the match, which wasn't that bad. So I thought that opening segment, even the first half hour, because the first half hour of the show was dedicated to hyping up the the tag team title match at Money in the Bank. And you can say this about WWE, give them a pat on the back for spending that much time on the tag division. You know, you heard Bushwhacker Luke talk about, you know, the tag division has never been really an important part of WWE. Uh, And if this was a year or two ago, the tag titles would have been a complete afterthought on a show like this. Maybe would have gotten five or ten minutes to hype up the, the upcoming paper match. They got a half hour here. So that's a good sign from WWE's end. Uh, but the segment as a whole was kind of hit and miss. And we've got a three-hour Raw. That that kind of speaks to those three-hour episodes of Raw as a whole, too. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that uh, it was, you know, it, it was a valiant attempt uh, to to make the the tag titles, you know, seeing the tag title picture relevant and, and the just kind of boost up the hype for that. Um, I do agree that the shoe thing was 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 a little off. I'm a big fan of the New Day. I've been a big fan of the New Day since day one. A lot of people mm-hmm. thought that I was ridiculous that I thought the new I liked the New Day from the beginning, and now they're like, <laughs> yeah, well, Chris was right, <laughs> you know. But but here's the thing. I, I, I you know I was interviewing Teddy Long uh, a few weeks back, and you know he was talking about how he's not a fan of the New Day because he thinks they're too hokey and. You know, and they don't take the tag team titles seriously. I, you know, I slightly disagree with that. Big fan of Teddy Long, but I slightly disagree with that because I think that they are actually bringing uh, importance back to the title scene. Uh, I do think it's important, but I do think that uh, the writing staff needs to kind of throw away the pen that they're using and, and, and start with another one. Um, because I, I think uh, the, the the new day antics are getting a bit redundant, and you know with these microwave fans here, you know that we've experienced the past, you know probably half a dozen years at least, uh, it, it's 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 tough to write. You know it's tough to write some good material that will last and that has consistency because people get tired mm-hmm. of stuff fast, and I think that yeah. you know you have to kind of understand that when you're a writer. You know, and with this New Day thing, you know, it's, you know, they've only been, and it's funny because a lot of people are criticizing the New Day having the same jokes. They've only been baby faces, what, two two months, two and a half months now? So it hasn't been long, you know, that they've been baby faces, but it seems longer than what it really is because, you know, of the two and a half, you know, three months, you know, baby face run. But coming with the same stuff. I think the Enzo and Xavier Woods, you know, kind of showdown was funny. I found that pretty funny. But, you know, it's one of those things that you're going to have to come up with new material if you want the fans to really kind of cling on to the new day. Because right now it's the, you know, Biggie has his entrance. People are really into that. Uh, And then, you know, the kind of new day rocks, they're into that the gyrating WWE Tag Team Champions. So it's really kind of three points of their whole thing that people are into. But mm-hmm. everything in between, I've noticed that people are starting to, to let go of the uh, of the support. Yeah, and, and I wonder how much of their stuff that we see on air is is actually them coming up with it and not the writing team. Because I seem to remember watching their table for three on WWE Network and they were very adamant that that you know what we see in the ring, their antics, is really an extension of them. You know, they really are good friends. They really do travel together. Um, they're just bringing kind of their backstage personas in front of the camera. So, yeah. and, and even watching them, I kind of get a sense that they're coming up with a lot of that stuff themselves, and some of it may be even on the spot. So they may creatively get a rough outline of, what creative wants them to get across, but I'm thinking the meat and potatoes of a lot of the stuff they do is actually them. So, you know, hopefully they can adapt and they can change, you know, like you've talked about uh, with the taste of the fans just to keep themselves relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that their personalities are, have shined because I remember seeing that table for three. It was really good. It was actually one of my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they were saying how, 
they were plugged in to because uh, I remember Kofi saying that he was hesitant about the whole thing um, because mm-hmm. he wasn't used to that type of role, you know, the whole SOS character, um, and you know them kind of being placed into it, him being hesitant. If I'm not, if I if I remember correctly, him saying that, and then you know as the fans as the fans were into it and as they evolved, you know, then they became very comfortable with it and became friends within. But, you know, that's a good question as far as, you know, how much is them versus how much is the writers. I would say based on, you know, um, a wrestler's intake based on backstage, you know, uh, and uh, based on back, backstage, um, I guess, uh, knowledge, it's a lot of it is, or, or a lot of it to most of it is the writers, with the exception of uh, some of the bigger names. I interviewed uh, Brad Maddox a couple of weeks ago, and he was just saying that, you know, basically everything is verbatim, you know, from the from the writers. You know, they, they write full page scripts. And I remember him saying that, uh, you know, he said on the show a couple of weeks ago that, you know, he would try to, you know, uh, say some things or try to tweak some things and, you know, talk to one of the writers, and the writers were really the messengers because they, you know, everything had to go to Vince. And so yeah. I think at the end of the day, you know, Vince still has to put a stamp of approval on it. I think right now the New Day, uh, I, I, would, I, would, I would say that they would have a little bit more stroke possibly, you know, because they're so over. They would mm-hmm. maybe have a little bit more influence on their own material. But at the end of the day, I'm sure that, you know, I've had many interviews, you know, you guys at the Torch have had many interviews to know, you know, the, the ins and outs of, of wrestling, you know, to know that at the end of the day, you know, Vince are gonna Vince is gonna throw out so many ideas, you know, that it that it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, so you know, so that's one of those that's one of those things. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Titus O'Neill. Uh some somehow he's an all American now. Uh Titus O'Neill <laughs> And uh, I, I have no idea uh, why that was. I mean, you know, do you think that this was a little bit too late? Because I think if he would have came uh, hot off the – I think if he would have came hot off um, the, the the suspension right into this, I think that it may have been a little bit better. Uh, but the problem is I think that since – you know, the, the, since he came from the suspension, since it subsided a bit, he's back to normal Titus O'Neil, who was feuding against Stardust before he got suspended. So he wasn't over, yeah. you know, before he got suspended. Now it's back to normal Titus, you know, who's basically at the same spot as he was when he was feuding against Stardust. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, the other thing you have to think about is when he was coming off his suspension, Rusev was just coming off of being – uh, a part of the League of Nations, which didn't help him get over at all. So he was still trying to reestablish himself uh, with Lana as a heel. You know, they're kind of doing a throwback deal with Rusev and trying to get him back to the point where he was when he first debuted and when he took WWE by storm and, and had this great feud yeah. of John Cena and was really the Bulgarian brute. And that character kind of lost its way and he was totally lost in the shuffle with the league nations. So he needed some time to kind of reestablish himself, uh, beat on the little guy, Kalisto, take the U S title from him. Uh, and I think he's at a point now where he is, he's never going to be the Rusev 
that he once was at the top of his game. But they've gotten him to a point where the League of Nations stench is off of him, you know? So he's U.S. champion. He, he's built back up a little bit. Um, I think if you'd have tried to get Titus right off of his suspension in with Rusev, uh, Rusev wasn't at a point where he had been uh, rebuilt enough coming off of League of Nations for it to really mean anything. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, and, and you know, it's and, and they, I, I think at this point they really don't know what they want to do with Titus. Uh, I, you know, we're, we'll get into predictions here in a minute, but you know, I, I don't know anyone who's predicting Titus O'Neil to win this match, you know, at yeah. the Money in the Bank. You know, I think it's pretty much foregone. That, and and uh, you know, that, you know, you that's know. okay though. You know, it's okay to do that, and it's okay to use him to continue to build up Rusev for something important. You know, I, I know there's a lot of people. I know um, Torch Editor Wade Keller has been a big proponent of Titus O'Neil's uh, singles potential in the past. I, I don't think I've seen enough of him to really say that he's got that future world champion stamp on him. Um, and, and really, he's, like you kind of mentioned, he's a lower card guy they're taking and. and putting into this United States title feud. If nothing else, Rusev gets to continue his path of destruction. He took out Kalisto. He's moved on to literally bigger things with Titus O'Neil. So if he does go over Titus O'Neil, now Rusev is a heel who's got some big wins under his belt. He's defended the U.S. title. And once he gets in line for a serious contender, uh, a serious babyface contender, whomever that may be down the line, uh, he will look better and um, if, when the babyface goes over, he'll be stronger for it because Rusev has sort of climbed that uh, that ladder of babyfaces. Absolutely. See, we saw that in the beginning. That's, see, that's the reason why he was such a strong heel in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. within within the decades of, uh, of booking, we saw, you know, 20 years ago that the heel would – beat the, I mean, they had jobbers at the time, so every week he would come and, you know, show how dominant he is and just beat jobbers every week. And then when, you know, the jobbers basically got cut out, he would beat the the lower, the middle card guys. You know, and it's just it's just the, the same equation. I mean, I, I don't know why it's ever been changed, but it's the same equation that, that, that's worked. It's a tried and true method. It's the, it's, it's the heel, you know, gain a bunch of heat. You beat the lower card guys, you, you gain such this momentum and such this power, and then you put over the baby face at the end. Mm-hmm. The culmination is you put over whatever baby face needs to get the rub, and then he gets over and the baby the heel gains all this steam and this heat from beating up, you know, the other guys. And and I think that's what happened with Rusev when he came in when he won the U.S. title, he beat Swagger, he beat exactly. Ryder, he beat Big E, he beat uh, uh, Sheamus. You know, he, he he beat. You know, he 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 went through all this. He went through this this litany of of, of wrestlers. You know, mm-hmm. and he beat them. You know, every he, he went through feud after feud. Mark Henry's another one that he beat. You know, he yeah. went through all of these feuds of people who seemed like they would beat. They would be the guy who would beat Rusev, and that was so strong, and it, and he was booked as a traditional old school heel. 
It was mm-hmm. so strong. You know, you had this person, you know, you had Jack Swagger, he beat Jack Swagger. Big E comes, oh, yeah, well, he he looks legitimate. He looks like he could beat Rusev. No, he he failed to Rusev. Mark Henry comes along. Okay, well, he's the strongest man, world's strongest man. He falls to Rusev. And then he gets a, enough momentum, you know, to beat Sheamus. And, mm-hmm. and I think I think that this is a good way to kind of bring that momentum back to Rusev going through these lower to middle card guys like Titus O'Neil, and that's the reason why, you know, I want more for Titus, but I realize that he's not agile and he's and he'll be almost forty years old. You know what I mean? So there's not mm-hmm. much left, you know, to, to there's I think the the, the, the years or, or the, the times of high expectations for Titus O'Neil has subsided. Uh but but you know, he can keep that middle card role but there's not much to expect from him, unfortunately. And I think point. I think the one thing that we got to point out here too is we got to give Jack Swagger a lot of credit. And we joke about it now because every time Jack Swagger fights Rusev on TV, it's like they're fighting again. It just seems like that they've yeah. had uh, thousands of battles already. But you know, Swagger played a really important role when Rusev first debuted, and Swagger oh, yeah. was one of his first feuds, and Swagger put him over strong every time. And that's where Rusev really started to develop uh, his his in ring work on the main roster, and and that's where Rusev really got over and, and propelled him into that feud eventually with John Cena that led to their WrestleMania match. So I think Swagger deserves a lot of credit for putting Rusev over and, and getting him ready for a guy like Cena eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and hopefully we'll get that now. Hopefully you know we'll get people. Uh, that goes, you know, him going through another list of mid card people and putting over, you know, and putting over whoever that baby face is at the end of this, you know, um, at, at the end of this demolition, you know, so to speak, mm-hmm. of, of mid card wrestlers. Hopefully, it's not a, an established someone like Cena. Um, hopefully, it's someone like a Zane or something like that. Especially with this split, I think it'll help someone like a Zane. Um, or or a baby face like that, even someone like a Neville, um, when he comes back, that he'll you know he's the he's the baby face at the end of the tunnel that mm-hmm. that you know Rusev puts over, and it'll make him look so much stronger. If Rusev is winning all these matches, leading to you know the match with Zayn or the match with sure. Neville or whoever Ambrose is another one, you know so. Um, so let's uh, talk about a couple more things before we get into the flavor of the week. Um, one uh, solid moment. I thought it was a couple solid uh, moments uh, in the in the show. I did like the the Ambrose Asylum bit, um, and I did like the contract signing as well. What, mm-hmm. what do you think about those? Uh, the Ambrose Asylum segment, I think, had its moments. Um, I, I liked them drawing on the history of the Shield, especially mm-hmm. for the, the Rollins. Uh, Reigns match you know you can't ignore that that's that played such a big part in their careers up to this point if you're doing a Rollins Reigns singles match you have to acknowledge that and I thought they did a nice job with that in that segment I thought they got a little too cute at times you know this is a WWE world heavyweight title match you want to try to balance that seriousness with the comedy that Dean Ambrose is inevitably going to bring um, and I don't think they always hit the mark in that segment. I will say I thought Reigns sounded a little more natural in this segment. I thought that was one of his better promos that he's done in a while. 
so I give him credit for that. Uh, AJ Styles, John Cena, I thought was really strong. I, I liked the idea of Cena presenting him with two different contracts. That put a twist on the usual contract signing trope because that's you know, something we see way too often on TV. And Styles has really found his groove as a heel on the mic. Uh, we've seen yeah. in TNA before, Styles didn't always have a lot of success as a heel. And he seems to have, yeah, oh, geez, yeah. Um, he, he seems to have found his voice with, uh, with Gallows and Anderson backing him up here. And, you know, that match is just going to hopefully be a blowaway match at, at Money in the Bank. And the announcer's hammering home that it's a WrestleMania-worthy match at Money in the Bank. So I thought both segments had their strong points. I think if you were to look at the overall body of the segment, I thought Cena Styles was a little stronger. Um, but they, you know, they had their strong points. Yeah, I, I agree too. I think Cena Styles was stronger. I didn't like the the dual contracts. I I, I, oh. I didn't like the dual contracts because of this. I think it would have been a nice turn to it. And see, him saying that, you know, him signing this contract with the club and things like that. I, I think it was kind of like, okay, of course he's going to sign the singles contract. Yeah. I see. I think that I think a really stronger nuance in this would have been, okay. Here's the thing: you either prove yourself. This is 15 years in the making. Uh, and and uh, let me let me do a sidebar right quick and talk about the shield right quick. I, I I agree with you. I do think there was some 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 failed spots at that, um, but I think overall, I think the the history of the shield and having those uh, those segments, I think that those that that helped. That that uh, Ambrose Asylum bit, uh, that that segment, I think it, I think it helped that. Uh, I don't, I think if they wouldn't have showed anything Shield, it would have been a little bit too hokey for me. Um, but I do think, you know, and, and and the thing is, when he was pointing to to Rollins and Reigns, I mean, Reigns got the bigger ovation. I mean, they both had split cheers and boos, but I mean, Reigns is polarizing. So I mean, Vince and, and company, they look at that stuff and and they. And they, you know, kind of pat themselves on the back as far as the reaction that he's receiving. So it's a very interesting uh, take there that I that I noticed that uh, when he pointed to Rollins, he got a pretty decent ovation from New Orleans crowd. But uh, I mean, Reigns, I mean, he's a polarizing figure. So and that's that's something that's uh, is money. <laughs> I mean, that's remarkable to the WWE mm-hmm. uh, as much as people don't like that. But yeah, but the, the Cena thing, real quick. Um, I think it would have been a better uh, twist to it if the the two contracts wasn't horrible to me. Uh, I think it was better than the, the the typical physicality at the end of the match. But saying okay, well, either you know against me or with the club, I would have I would have really thought it would have been an awesome twist to it to say here I have two contracts. Either you can prove to me I'm the face who runs the place. And you've been waiting to go against me for 15 years. This match is 15 years in the making. This is a WrestleMania caliber match. You can go against me and prove yourself, or you can sign this contract that makes you the seventh person in the Money in the Bank match, and you can duck and dodge me like you have been (laughs) doing for the past 15 years. I mean, to me, that seems like, ooh, wow. Like, that's a big deal. And I'm a big fan of cliffhangers, and I would have even carried this over to SmackDown, you know, as as a go-home show. Like, you have some time to think about it 
and you know, and and wait until SmackDown to to to, to sign it, because I would have had the club came come in and and kind of you know mess up the whole thing. That would have been a way to end the segment to me for the club to come in and kind of say, "Wait, well, so you don't have to worry about John Cena." You know, you can sign this. You you have your your chance to be in the the world title match again. You know, you were screwed out with Roman Reigns, blah blah blah. And eventually, of course, AJ would have signed for uh, Cena because he wants to prove himself. But I think mm-hmm. that, that if you want to have a two contract thing, I think that that would have really caused a, a really cool cliffhanger for me. Yeah, and I think I think the one downside of that would have been that um, by picking. His match with Cena, I think you're kind of the the unsaid message is money in the bank wasn't worthy of AJ Styles, and you you don't want to send the message to the fans that that match isn't as important, and, and inevitably whichever one he picks, you know, and, and he has his reasons for picking John Cena certainly, uh, more personal reasons than he would be for picking Money in the Bank, but you don't want the unsaid message to the fans to come across as he didn't think the money in the bank match was worthy enough for him. Um, and that's the only thing that, that I would see as a, as an issue with that kind of uh, selection. But the thing is, if if you're putting the contracts, you know, side to side, you're putting them both at, you know, a, a very high prominent position. You're, and, you're presenting you know, AJ, them. You're, yeah. You're presenting them to AJ as equal, but once he makes the pick, then they're no longer equal. And he, he thinks the match with Cena is more important than the Money in the Bank match, and I don't think that's a message you want to send to the fans that he didn't think the Money in the Bank match was important enough for him. But if you think of think of it this way, you have you have the two contracts, and you have you know AJ about to sign you know the the contract of the Money in the Bank. Oh yeah, it's a no brainer. I'm gonna, I'm going to sign the Money in the Bank. I'm put myself in the world title picture, and then you have Cena. Um, saying, okay, well, I, I figured that you would do that. I figured that you would dodge me, that you've been like you've been doing for 15 years. So AJ just, you know, instinctively, oh yeah, I want to put myself back on the title hunt. He's going to sign that Money in the Bank contract, you know. But of course, Cena, you know, says, okay, well, I, I figured that you would dodge me. I figured that you would do that, and you know, you're 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 you know, the punk that I thought you were going to be, you've been dodging me for 15 years. So I think that it would have been cool if AJ's decision would have been swayed by kind of the smack talk that Cena, because the thing is, AJ wants to be in the money bank. AJ wants that opportunity. But the thing is, him and Cena create such a marquee match. It's kind of like Taker, it's, it's kind of like Taker at Mania. You know he didn't need he never, he didn't need to be in any type of title match. He didn't matter who he goes against. He the streak is you know before Lesnar the streak was bigger than the title match at WrestleMania. You know and it doesn't matter who Taker went against. And he could have he could have went against someone like a Wade Barrett or something like that. You know and that would have been you know on a marquee status compared to a title match. And so you have those type of people. There's probably two or three that don't need a title, and but their matches has that big feel, that title caliber. And I think Cena's mm-hmm. one of those people. You know, when he brought oh, yeah. in the U.S. Open Challenge, you know, the, the U.S. title was just as – it was on an equal plane, you know, with with mm-hmm. the world title just because, 
you know, John Cena was in it and he had that open challenge. So, I mean, it would have been an interesting take. I just don't think the whole, you know, you can sign this with the club. I think that, that was – I think that it made it very clear what he was going to sign. I think it would have been a nice little uh, – I, I think the, the – ultimately, um, you would have needed – a strong announced team to put over the nuance of the decision that you were talking about. And, and unfortunately, WWE doesn't have that. They have Ronaldo. I think Ronaldo would have been good. Yeah, he, he would have done well, but you know, it, and, and that's where, like you said, the cliffhanger to SmackDown would have worked better than having it all happen on raw in your scenario. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. All right, real quick. Uh, let's spend the next uh, five minutes uh, doing the flavor of the week coming up. It is now time for the Flavor of the Week. There has been 17 uh, Money in the Bank matches, uh, 16 winners of the Money in the Bank matches. Uh, Greg and I are going to go back and forth to rank the worst to best Money in the Bank winners before we get to the Money in the Bank predictions for this year. So, Who's your 16th? Uh, 16th, I have uh, Mr. Kennedy. Mr. Kennedy. Why Why, Mr. Kennedy? <laughs> well, first of all, he ended up losing the briefcase before he ever cashed it in. So that's that's got to put him up there. Um, yeah. You know, he. it was, I think in that moment in time, it wasn't a bad decision to give him the briefcase because he did have a pretty strong following. He did have a pretty strong pocket of fans, but he's not a wrestler who holds up over time. I don't look back at here, uh, back at him now here in 2016, pining for more Mr. Kennedy. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I interviewed him a few weeks back and we talked about that. And yeah. Uh, I have Sandow as 16th uh, just because, you know, he was the first ever person to, mm-hmm. To lose flat out. I mean, Cena lost by DQ, but I mean, uh, he he lost flat out, and it was just such a, a horrible decision to to. I mean, Sandow had so much potential, but it was such a horrible decision to just plug him as Money in the Bank, and then for that time him lose against Cena was just absolutely ridiculous. Who's your fifteen? My fifteenth is Damian Sandow, actually, um, for a lot of the reasons you listed. You know, losing. Um, in cashing it in. And the thing about that was the thing that was so disappointing with that is people watched that match at the time and were like, it doesn't matter that Sandow lost. He's a made man. Now he looked great in a TV match with Cena. The fans were behind him. WWE is going to do something with him now. And we can look back now and say that never happened. You know, that, that felt like the moment in time where Sandow was really going to get a push he got over despite losing to Cena, and that never happened. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like we're in the same type of thought plane here. The Kennedy was 15 for me for those for those very reasons that you said. <laughs> 14. 14, I had Kane. Um, when you talk about the, the least imaginative Money in the Bank winner possible, I think of Kane. <laughs> you know, he's... He's been in so many, and you know he he provides a good base for guys to jump off of. He his size uh, helps in the uniqueness of the the Money in the Bank ladder match itself. But 
he's never a guy that I think should ever win the money in the bank. And um, for him to actually have won it and then um, beat uh, Rey Mysterio for the, uh, for the championship coming off of this, I thought was just, ugh. it was, uh, and the, the nice thing about it with Kane is he cashed it on the same night that he won it. So it wasn't like he was carrying around the briefcase for months afterward. At least he got it over with right, right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. we got a few minutes left. I actually had Kane at six. Um, Swagger was 14 for me. Uh, that's pretty self-explanatory. There's no need to go further into that. Who's your 13? <laughs> I had uh, Sheamus at 13. Yeah. Uh, Cena was my 13 just because he lost, and I'll, I don't think it was a any. I don't think it was necessary for him to have it. Uh, who was 12 for you? 12 was a Miz. Miz. <laughs> RVD for me, um, just because Ooh. of what came out of it eventually. Um, it, it just didn't really work out. Uh, 11? 11 was uh, Jack Swagger for me. That was that was yeah. a tough one because I thought um, when he did eventually cash it in, I thought he did a lot of good work, a lot of fun work with the daddy swagger and, and the um, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, looking back on it, um, it wasn't as great as it could have been. I agreed. Uh, Del Rio was 11 for me, uh, just because uh, 2011 was just an overload of pushing Del Rio, and this was just <laughs> unnecessary. And just his uh, cash in with Kevin Nash helping was just kind of just it yeah. was a throwaway moment for me. Yeah. Uh, my number 10 was Randy Orton, 2013. Uh, again, he's a guy who held it for a short amount of time, so he had that going for him at least. Miz was 10 for me, just for the reasons that you said, just it wasn't necessarily, I mean, the cash-in was memorable, but just the mm. Miz there wasn't, you know, in the long run, it's proven to be not not the best decision. Yeah. Uh, my nine was Del Rio. I think I agree with you. There was a time when he first debuted that he was a pretty hot act, but by 2011, he just, he, he'd gotten really stale. Yeah. Uh, uh RVD was like, I was, yeah, number nine. Number eight was Sheamus uh, for me, um, just because I, yeah, it just, in the long run, it just wasn't a very good uh, decision for that. Yeah. Um, my number eight was Daniel Bryan. That was, hey, th- now we're getting into the sort of the top half of things, and, and I would be speaking more highly of these that cash-ins than, than the previous ones, but um, yeah. Daniel Bryan was number eight. Yeah. Um. Uh, seven, uh, eight was Seamus. Seven was Orton. Um, four, I mean, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't one of the best. Yeah, I had uh, Dolph Ziggler at number seven. That was a, that was a memorable cash in, I thought, for for Dolph Ziggler. Uh, you know, he had been looking at that position for a while, and it was nice for him to get that win. Yeah. Kane was six just because I thought it was a memorable time. I, I always have a soft spot for Kane if he finally got his moment other than a one-day reign that he had. So uh, that's why I put him at six. I had John Cena at six. I had him this high because I thought it was important to note that he was the first um, to not win the world title in a cash-in, and I thought that's mm-hmm. that's an important role. Yeah. Daniel Bryan was my fifth um, just because, you know, it was really his – it was really kind of his breakaway kind of decision um, to to make him. Uh, he had the U.S. title thing going on, but it was a really big thing for him, um, and he deserved mm-hmm. it. 
Uh, fifth for me was RVD. I loved him calling his shot and, and using Extreme Rules uh, as that shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Seth Rollins is number four just because of the WrestleMania feel to it. It was a big, big deal. Yeah, I had Rollins at four, too. Very memorable. Uh, Ziggler was my third, uh, just because of the, I mean, Raw After Mania was probably the most electrifying cash in, in, in history. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, CM Punk is my third and he won twice. So I had him as third and second. Yeah. Uh, I had, uh, CM Punk as, uh, number two, um, you know, because of that, because of winning twice mm-hmm. and having those cash in. So I guess, so it looks like we both agreed on Edge for number one then. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> right, rightfully so. I think it was great uh, yep. to, to really have that uh, moment with Edge. It was it was great. It was really a breakaway time moment for him to to become a main event guy. So, and the first right, the first so, winner of the Money in the Bank. Yep, absolutely. New Year's Revolution. Um, mm-hmm. All right, real quick, uh, let's get to the predictions. Uh, tag team match: Charlotte and Dana Brooke against Natalia and Becky Lynch. Uh, I think the heels really to start teasing the Dana Charlotte dissension that we saw on Raw. So I think they get their effect on there. I I agree. Uh, the heels win. Um, uh, Rusev and Titus. Got to be Rusev. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, who wins the tag team match? Oh, I, I think it's going to be the Club or New Day. And as a matter of uh, does the club win it here, or do they win it in a two-on-two match later on? I say New Day keeps it for a little while longer, maybe um, beats the, the record tag team title length, and then uh, eventually drop it to the club. I agree. I think the New Day wins it because of the streak thing. Let's get to the pre-show matches real quick. Uh, Ziggler, Corbin? Ooh. Um, I'll go Corbin on that one. Oh, yeah, Corbin for me, too. Crew, Seamus? Cruz uh, really needs the win, but he's gotten one up on Seamus the last couple of weeks. Um, I'll say Seamus. I'll go Cruz because I think they they realize he desperately needs the rub. All right, real quick, yeah. Styles Cena back on the main card. Oh, um, I think it'll go like Cena Owens did last uh, a couple of years ago, where Owens got the first victory, Cena got the subsequent ones, so Styles wins here. I think Big Match John, although I don't like him, <laughs> Big Match John wins. Uh, all right, real quick, who wins the Money in the Bank ladder match? Kevin Owens. I've got Dean Ambrose setting okay. for a uh, Shield uh, thingamabob. Uh, Reigns Rollins. Uh, Roman Empire reigns supreme. I agree. I think Reigns wins, and I think that they, I think they may do a the Shield triple threat. All right, ten seconds, Greg. Where can we find you and uh, let us know, uh, you know, where where you are? I'm on Twitter at Greg M Parks, uh, and if you're not already a uh, member of PWTorch.com, PWTorch.com/slash/go-i-go-vip. Uh, for all kinds of audio and coverage on the Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter online. Awesome stuff. Appreciate you on the show, Greg. Awesome time. Thanks for having me, Chris. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for this action-packed, action-packed night. Greg Parks from PW Torch, awesome time. 
uh, interacting with him for, uh, about wrestling. Uh, and then, of course, the doubleheader with Cedric Alexander and Bushwhacker Luke. Awesome show today. Thank you so much for everyone who's listening. Until next week, enjoy your week of wrestling, and God bless. Enjoy Monday the Bank. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.